1: That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash stuff.
2: In Puerto Rico, there's adventure around every corner and natural treasures waiting to be explored. Like El Yunque, the only tropical rainforest in the U.S. Get swept away by natural beauty and come away with unique stories that could only be experienced in Puerto Rico and that remind you why you travel in the first place. Visits end, but stories last forever. You don't become a part of the island, it becomes a part of you. No passports required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com.
0: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com.
2: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark with Charles W. Chuck Bryant. And this is, oh, Jerry... And this is sufficient. Seven, four, two, five, eight. Can you say it in German? You speak German. Don't even jog me. Zwei, drei, fünf, acht, sieben. Now, can you
1: do that in a little girl voice? <laughs> You're just toying with Come me. Come on, do it. No, you always make me play St. Pauli Girl. I'm tired of it. St.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Pauli Girl. No, this is... Apparently even younger than the St. Pauli girl. It's like a little girl. And it was a live little girl. Who? In the Swedish Rhapsody number oh. station. Okay. It was a young, a little girl mm-hmm. reading out numbers and letters in German. Which makes it
1: even creepier. Yeah. Supposedly yeah. very creepy. This is a very neat subject. So kudos to you for tossing this one out there.
2: Well, I've been waiting for it to publish. Yeah. I'd seen it in the calendar coming up and coming up. I'm like, come on and publish. And I think it published on Friday. This is brand Here it is new. Tuesday.
1: Right out of the oven.
2: Yes. And uh we're talking about it just as they um are completing their decline. <laughs> so we are on <laughs> top of
1: this. Well, I think that, well, we'll get into it. I think that's what makes it even more interesting is that it's still happening. Mm-hmm. All right. Numbers, stations. Numbers, stations.
2: Yeah, like you said both stations. words are pluralized. It's a little clumsy. Um and number stations are we should just come out and say yeah. They're shortwave radio transmissions or transmitters making really weird baffling is the best word for it transmissions. Yeah. And have been doing so apparently since at least World War I. Oh, really? Yeah, supposedly the first Mention of a, a numbers station yeah. uh, came from a German magazine in World War One. In World War Two, they were in full swing. Sure, but apparently they somehow popped up first around World War One, which makes them some of the earliest shortwave transmissions in the world, because shortwave radio didn't come around at least into commercial use until about 1920. World yeah. War I was a few years before that, if you'll remember correctly.
1: Yeah, that's why I didn't even uh, think that that was possible. But like you said, World War II is when they were in full swing. Yeah. They really peaked in the Cold War. Yeah. Um, and they've been dying out slowly ever since. But I think one of the <laughs> neatest things is they are still, if you have a shortwave radio, you can tune into a frequency and hear beep, one two seven five eight. You know, it's it's usually like some sort of tone.
2: We should mention to Jerry of the future. <laughs> yeah. You're supposed to leave that beep in because yeah. it's
1: part of the number station. Yeah, we beep Jerry to signal when we want something edited. But yeah, a number station, it's not always a beep. It'll just have some sort of, sometimes it's a bit of a song.
2: Yeah, like this uh, Swedish Rhapsody or the uh, Lincolnshire Poacher, a British, English, UK-ish folk song.
1: yeah. And, oh God.
2: uh, <laughs> I'm so scared of them whenever I see stuff like that.
1: And the reason, um, that they, the transmission starts off with a tone or a beep or a song is so you can, uh, it, it alerts like, here comes the transmission. Right. Tune your station, hone in, make sure you get some good reception. Yeah. Because the secret code is about to be revealed.
2: And that's exactly what everyone is pretty much in consensus on. That what comes after this and what is broadcast over these numbers stations Are secret codes. Yeah. Again, like for the Swedish Rhapsody station, um, it is a little girl in speaking in German, Mm -hmm. reading numbers and letters, random, seemingly random numbers and letters. And then the transmission is over. And that happens like, uh, or it used to happen. That's a defunct numbers station now, but it happened on a fairly regular schedule. There's other ones, the Atencion station is a woman saying Atencion and then reading Spanish numbers and then repeating them over and over again and then going on to the next set. And everybody, no one can say for certain, but virtually everyone in the world from Cecil Adams at Straight Dope to the head of the UK's uh, Trade and Industry Agency say these are... Secret transmissions for spies. The whole basis of them was for espionage.
1: Yeah, and the reason why everyone is speculating that that is absolutely the case, which it almost certainly is, like we said, is because no government to this day has come forward and admitted this or owned this. It is all still technically speculation because you cannot point to a factual... Statement. The closest we've ever come is they finally got, uh, someone from the United Kingdom, a spokesperson. That
2: was the dude from the trade agency.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, the, the exact quote is people should not be mystified by them. They're not, shall we say, for public consumption. Yeah. And that's the only thing on record that any government has ever spoke about what these transmissions are.
2: Right. So the, the idea that they are Government transitions is the reason we have to speculate is because the government's never claimed them. Yeah. On the flip side, the reason everyone thinks that they are government-backed clandestine transmissions is because these are pirate radio frequencies, pirate radio transmitters.
1: Yeah, my first thing was like, just find one of these and look it up and find out what the deal is. Yeah, you would think so. They're totally unlicensed. Yeah. Um, nobody knows exactly where they are. They're illegal, technically.
2: Yes, they're very illegal because they transmit over um, air traffic control frequencies. Um, well, that's a big one. Yeah. And no one investigates them. There's yeah. no investigation into these number stations whatsoever. So the fact that the government won't say anything about them and the fact that the government isn't investigating these very blatantly out-in-the-open um weird, baffling transmissions, yeah. suggest that, yeah, everybody's right, that these are government-backed transmissions used to communicate anonymously and in one direction to spies embedded yeah. in foreign countries.
1: Yeah. I was about to call it a conversation, but it's really not. It's, a. It's um. I think, on the BBC documentary I saw, they called it a monologue. Right. You're just sending a, a one-way message. Exactly. Um, all right. Right after this break, we're going to talk a little bit about shortwave radio technology, the secret key to sending these messages.
2: After this break. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for time tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice.
0: Alright,
1: the key to this whole thing is sending a short way. Like, you might think, in this day and age, why not just send a a telefax? (laughs) Right. (laughs) No, why not send an email or, you know, there's surely, surely there are safer ways to send espionage, this information, highly classified, Uh Instructions to go kill the leader of a country, perhaps. Right. Like, if
2: you want to activate Reggie Jackson to kill Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> kill Norberg? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, how would you do it in this day and age? You'd think a, an email would do it. No. And you want to know who proves definitively that that is not safe or secure? Um, who? Jimmy Ed, Fallon. Edward, Edward Snowden. Yeah. There, there are, um, if you use a computer, you leave a trace. Yeah. It's virtually impossible to erase anything on a computer.
1: Yeah. If you think you have, then you haven't.
2: Plus, if you are, say, emailing somebody, you're transmitting what's supposed to be highly sensitive, even encrypted sure. information over a network. That yeah. stuff can be captured. Like, go listen to her as, an employer, as your employer spying on you episode. Yeah. You, you can't do it. Like, you, you can communicate like that, but you're leaving digital traces everywhere. The beauty of the shortwave radio transmission is that, again, it's anonymous and it's one directional, but if you get caught with a shortwave radio, at least say back in the 60s or the 70s or something, yeah. it, it wasn't weird. It didn't
1: prove that you were a spy. Yeah, you am just tuning into my, to my stories. Exactly. I'm just listening <laughs> to the BBC World Service. Uh, shortwave, uh, energy, radio energy, it's all determined by the power of your transmitter. So if you've got a humongous transmitter, you can send, and it didn't need to be that big, but you can send a message, one-way message mm-hmm. to the other side of the world. Right. And the reason it can travel across the planet is because it's bouncing off of, it literally is bouncing off the ionosphere of the Earth, or right. of, well, yeah, of the Earth. Uh, 50 to 375 miles up above our surface in the upper atmosphere and solar ionization creates an electrical charge and that charge reflects that signal right back down to earth it's called uh, sky skywave or skip and i like sky wave. sky wave yeah and that's why you can with a seemingly pretty simple piece of equipment i can send a message to to the south pacific yeah from my bedroom well i don't know if i'd have one big enough for my my bedroom's pretty big I, I wanted to see how big these things were, actually. You know, like if they uh, say really they, big ones to send them further and further, like how big do they get?
2: They get very huge. They can cover scores of acres. Oh, okay. A, a big shortwave antenna, um, which is why it can get very expensive. Got
1: it. But so that's bigger than my bedroom.
2: You can also use ones that are the size of your bedroom. It It, it depends not only, like you said... On the size of the transmitter, it depends on the atmospheric conditions too. Supposedly, yeah, sure. shortwave transmissions are received best at sunrise and sunset, and no one's 100% sure. But it has to do with the ionosphere, yeah. and because that's where um, the northern lights are happening, yeah, that's where solar rays hit the um, hit the Earth's atmosphere. And they, the atoms lose their electrons, I believe, so they become ions, yeah. forming the ionosphere. And because this is constantly changing, um, you can't predict exactly how a shortwave radio wave will act, but you can kind of guess, well, this time the sun's least active or most active, whatever. It has some impact on that sky. What's it called? The sky what? Sky wave. The sky wave yeah. effect. So you can communicate with somebody in a foreign country, right? Yeah. And not only can it not be tracked, it's very difficult to trace who sent that, where that transmission's coming from. Yeah. It's impossible to trace who's receiving it. That's right. So you have no idea who in your country is getting this, which means that you're broadcasting to anybody and everybody who feels like listening to this. Yeah. Um. a secret code. But the fact is, if you use the right kind of secret code, no one can crack it.
1: All right. That brings up an important point because you would think also you can hack into the most secure computer system on the planet if you're good enough as a hacker. Right. So how in the world could sending a coded key like it's 1955 mm-hmm. and you're trying to get your decoder ring, you know, from uh, the Red, was it the Red Rider? The no, Christmas no, story?
2: no. That's way off. No, what was it? It was uh no, Little Orphan, Orphan Annie.
1: No, no, no. I'm talking about in the Christmas story.
2: Yeah, it was the Little Orphan Annie. That Dakota was the show. Ring.
1: Yeah, I didn't think it was. Uh... He
2: didn't. He didn't care about pirates and all that jazz. Pirates and smugglers and all that jazz. <laughs> he listened to Little Orphan Annie. And Little all right, Orphan I'll take Annie, your word for it. I remember now. Do you? No, but I'll take your word for it, dude. I'm telling you, it's Little Orphan Annie. I no, will. take your word for it. My hat.
0: I don't have a hat on
2: right now, but I would eat it if I if I were wrong.
1: At any rate, you're not little Ralphie decoding the message from little orphan Annie, mm-hmm. but it is actually the most secure way that you can send a secret message is by creating a unique code that you know and have written down on a piece of paper, and your buddy knows who has it written down on a piece of paper. Huh. You only use it once. That's the kind of the key here. Yeah, and then you destroy it afterward. That is still the most – it's unbreakable. So
2: what it's called is a one-time pad. The old one-timer. Because you only use it once. And it is old. It's from the 19th century. Yeah, and it's still uncrackable. It is. And the reason why it's uncrackable is because you each have – like you said, you each have a copy of this, this code. Yeah. But it's randomly generated, right? So let's say um, you have the sheet of paper and the other person has a sheet of paper. And the sheet of paper says – it's just like strings of random numbers, like four or five numbers long, yeah. And it's just totally random, yeah. And it just covers, you know, several sheets of paper. Well, you guys start at the same place, uh-huh. and when the person transmitting the message wants to encrypt it, they run their message. So, say you guys have agreed, like zero is A, yeah. B is one, C is two, etc. Yeah. So you take that. And you'd get really bad. You, I, I, know, dude. It is mind boggling. Like this is about as simple as cryptology gets. Yeah. And it, it makes me bleed
1: from my ears. Well, because all you have to do is agree on what's what. Right. You know, it could be anything.
2: Right. So you're agreeing on what's what, but um, you also have this randomly generated code sure. key, right? So um, let's say I want to say what up, Chuck. Let's W H A H U C K. So that's eleven letters, right? Yeah. So if you have your your um, key and you're encoding it, you would use these first the first eleven numbers to encode what's already encoded. So the W is say says um, <laughs> <laughs> so it's, uh, it's the number twenty two. Okay, right, and then so on. So like there's a, a number assigned to each letter. Yeah. So you have that, and then you run it through this code, this randomly generated code. Yeah. So you add that and then so you have um, 20, 20, what did I say? 22? Yeah. And then um, say the first letter or the first number of this code is 7. So you have 29. Yeah. So that's what the little German girl reads on the air. 29. Yeah. 52. 37. 18. Yeah. It means nothing yeah. to anyone else in the entire world except for you and and the person who has the other copy of this code, since there's only two copies and you're only using it once. And you're going to eat it afterward. Yeah. And the key is that it's randomly generated numbers. Yeah. Then it'll, it's theoretically, it will never be broken.
1: Yeah. But I mean, that's just one example. You could, you could have five pre-code rules to confuse someone Trying to crack this code, right? Yeah, no. and they don't. It's not like the simplest code is this letter represents this number, this number represents this letter. It gets more complex than that. It, you could both have agreed upon a book. You have To Kill a Mockingbird. I've got To Kill a Mockingbird. Right. Four, eight, twelve, ninety, twelve, thirteen. Right. Four means go to page four. Thirteen means no, you're really going to page thirteen. Ignore the four. Then look at the 12th line, then look at the 8th word on that page.
2: Right. What a, what a one time pad would do is take that already agreed upon code and encrypt it even further.
1: Yeah, but the point is it doesn't have to represent letters. It can right. represent full words in a text right. that you've agreed upon. True. And it's basically like, Thumbing through this book, picking out all these various words to make a sentence.
2: Right. The problem is that's its vulnerability as well. Like to, to get a copy of the, um, randomly generated key that's used to encrypt this message, right? Yeah. Um, you have to have some sort of contact with somebody. Yeah. So that's one vulnerability of it. The yeah. thing is, is like, depending on how long this is, as many numbers as there are, um, Is as long as is as many transmissions as you can transmit. Yeah, does that make any sense?
1: No, say say it clearer.
2: So so I said, "What up, Chuck?" Yeah, that's eleven. That uses the first eleven numbers on this key. Right. But say there's fifty thousand numbers on the key. Right. Well, we have a lot more messages we I can send to you. Yeah. That that we're going through the pad, eventually though. We're going to use up this pad, and we need to meet again so I can give you another randomly generated key. At Kinko's. That's the vulnerability of it.
1: Um, Well, the other – well, not a failsafe, but the thing that makes it even safer is a lot of times they would send and presumably are still sending dummy messages, so you don't even know if it's real to begin with. And there are only so many person hours you can dedicate as a government to code crackers, and they might be working on a code that's not even real. Right. So you don't even know which transmissions are, are legit.
2: And that, that is a proposal by a group called Enigma. And we'll talk about Enigma right after this message because they're pretty awesome. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. So, Chuck, um, we were talking about Enigma, or I mentioned Enigma, and Enigma is this group that, of basically amateur radio people.
1: Shortwave radio enthusiasts are, they, they really get into this. Yes. Um, it's a thing.
2: And they started, this is pre, pre-internet days, I think it was in the 80s, the late 80s, early 90s, that Enigma first came around and, and kind of coalesced. And ENIGMA stands for European Numbers Information Gathering and Monitoring Association. Mm-hmm. And basically, it was just a group of these people who had all... been just to spell ENIGMA. Yeah, right. Who had all... And I think they reverse engineered that, that they one. They always do. Um, but they had all kind of started to talk uh, or find each other. And say, have you heard this weird transmission? And they're like, yes, I've heard that one. And you should ch- you should check out this frequency on Tuesday nights at eight p.m. because it transmits this. And they're, they suddenly realize there's this whole community of people out there. Yeah. So they set up a newsletter. They started an, a naming convention, and they started assigning, collecting, and assigning names to these different things. So like. Uh, E designated a, an English speaking trans numbers station. Right. Um, S was Slavic. V is various, which encompass, encapsulates everything from like French to Spanish. Right. And Enigma really took this thing and, and put it into understandable terms. And they are basically eavesdropping, or they were yeah. eavesdropping on The spy community. Are they not doing that anymore? So Enigma disbanded, I think, in 2000, and then almost immediately another group came and said, well, we're Enigma 2000, we're going to carry this on. And that's pretty fortunate because they were around to um, put all this on the Internet. Yeah, yeah. Before it was like you had to like subscribe to newsletters and have a shortwave radio. Now it's like you can just go on the Internet and and, um, listen to all sorts of archives of these uh, defunct um, number stations as well. Yeah,
1: I mean, they're creepy-sounding. I don't like it's kind of cool.
2: I've got one for you. We've talked about it before. Do you remember the
1: Yosemite Sam transmission? Yeah, I'm convinced that that's just a person having fun.
2: Well, let's play it. I like that one. I think it's full of info.
1: It's cool. It's coming from uh, somewhere out uh, in Albuquerque in the desert in New Mexico. Yeah. And it's been going since, what, like 2004? Yeah. And um, what makes this one interesting is that it's not a code. It is just Yosemite Sam saying that thing. Well, then it's followed by that data burst. Yeah.
2: Which they think is some sort of compressed information.
1: Yeah, see, I don't believe it. I think this is a shortwave enthusiast having a good time.
2: Well, he's been doing it like uh, it's pretty sophisticated. It does it like over and over again. I think for 40 seconds and switches to the next frequency, and it just goes through the band. Yeah. And on a uh, uh, then he's got a computer doing it for him. Maybe if it is just some dude, but e- either way, I like the use of Yosemite Sam. No, it's cool, but it's pretty. It's exemplar of um, of uh, it's a number station of a yeah. number's transmission. There's something that indicates that this is about to happen. And then there's the happening, the transmission of the secret code. Yep. Whether it's digital in nature or whether it's spoken, um, and then there it, it it is ended by, you know, Yosemite Sam again or something like that. Yeah. Where it's saying, "Here's the beginning. Here's the information. Here's the end."
1: Now go kill Nordberg. Right. Uh, one of the other cool things about this is, in um, you know, when we were talking about surely there's better ways and. The government could uh, theoretically shut down the Internet. They could zap uh, satellite transmissions. They could shut everything down. This is almost um, unstoppable. You can't shut down shortwave radio. I mean, I guess you cut power maybe.
2: Yeah. Well, no, supposedly. No, I, I mean, yeah. And then I guess if, if people had batteries, though, in their shortwave radio. Yeah, good point. The, th- the, the one way to combat it is called um, jamming, frequency jamming. And yeah. basically it's just broadcasting on the same frequency that these, these other transmitters, the number stations are transmitting on. And so if you're broadcasting within your country, you're probably going to reach those shortwave radios better than somebody on the other side of the planet's transmission will. Yeah. And so <clears throat> apparently Russia spent billions or the Soviets spent billions of dollars during the Cold War jamming frequencies from all sorts of different transmissions. Um, And they'd play things like the sound of seagulls or random beeps or whatever. And it was just to prevent people from transmitting into Russia. Yeah. But even with all of that money and technology mustered or marshaled against it, they still weren't entirely successful. Like shortwave radio transmissions get through. It's just too big to fight.
1: Yeah. You can't jam the entire frequency of all shortwave. Right. Like every single frequency. Um. If you've ever heard the uh the Wilco, remember Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, mm. that album? Yeah. That was the on the album at some point, I can't remember which song it Yankee Hotel Foxtrot in a woman's voice and that is a famous is it? uh code.
2: Was that from the Conant project?
1: No, I don't think so, but we should talk about that for sure. That was uh a project and it was also I guess in the 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 wild west days where you're talking about pre internet, but mm-hmm. people wanted to hear this stuff. Some people got together and put together a, uh, a, a greatest hits sort of yeah. on CD, uh, with a lot of accompanying material about what you're listening to. And, um, none of them obviously can't break these codes. That's the thing I find interesting is people sit around and listen to this stuff, but with no aim of cracking the code.
2: I think some people do attempt to crack the code. It's impossible. Well, it's not impossible and we should say the with well, the reason why it's not impossible is because if you're using a computer generated random number, a computer's not capable of truly of generating a truly random number because computers run on algorithms yeah. and the algorithms are designed to follow patterns, so they're just incapable of it. So you could, especially today, a hacker could conceivably crack one of these especially old transmissions.
1: But, yeah, but, but you still don't, don't know what those numbers stand for even if you find a pattern of numbers. Right,
2: there's still an agreed upon thing that you would have to figure out, but yeah. it would it it makes it possible. If you could crack that one time pad key, then you have a real chance at de- deciphering the message itself.
1: Well, yeah, if you know what they stand for. But I still maintain if only you and I know what those numbers represent.
2: Right. To Kill a Mockingbird pages. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh Well, you were saying the Connet Project thing. Yeah. So it's a four-CD compilation. And apparently, I read an article from the time when it came out, which is the 90s. And it was like perfect timing because there was Y2K going on. Yeah. There was Millennium Angst. There was the X-Files. And this thing came out in 1997. And Salon wrote an article on it. And the, this guy who wrote it was like a Musique Concrete aficionado. Oh, man. So people appreciated it, not just for the fact that it's like recordings of real live um, spy transmissions. Yeah. But some people like the kind of avant-garde noise that it had going on, too. I'm sure uh,
1: the Flaming Lips are currently planning an album composed of nothing but messages from number stations. Number eight? Uh, There's a movie that exists that i had never heard of called the number station i hadn't heard of it either yeah i don't think it was released (laughs) really it said it was from 2013 and like i know most movies that are released it's it it probably went straight to video or something but uh i watched the trailer today it's john cusack and uh malin ackerman Mm -hmm. and you know they work at a number station and he's to protect the number station but something bad happens and they're compromised. Right. And is who he, who he says he is. And is she who she says she is. Right. Who knows? You'll have to rent that turkey to find out. <laughs> <laughs> Did it look bad? Yeah. Sure. It looked pretty bad. Sorry, John Cusack. Yeah. Sorry, John Cusack.
2: <laughs> so, uh, the, the, I think one of the most interesting things about, um, numbers stations is that, like you said, They peaked during the Cold War right when the Berlin Wall fell. And then in the few years after that, the number of transmissions supposedly just dropped off dramatically. Although I did see in at least one place that supposedly they increased, but I didn't see that supported anywhere else. But the idea that they're still around at all in 2014, that there are still number stations transmitting gibberish, uh, really says a lot. So it says a couple of things. And yeah. you've already mentioned one. It's possible they are just transmitting gibberish to throw off anybody listening. Yeah, that's one. Um, To basically just kind of sap their resources.
1: Right, like uh, keep them, Ruskies, busy listening to our gibberish. <laughs>
2: <Right>. Sure. <laughs> um, Another one is that they're keeping them going in case they need to use them again.
1: I think that's totally the reason.
2: In which case, th- that's pretty smart because yeah. that's just... You're not showing your hand like where all of a sudden a uh, an inactive radio station suddenly starts up again right. indicates activity. Or, if it's been doing the same thing yeah. for ten years and uh, on year seven it actually transmitted a real secret message, but it seemed just like the everything else in those ten years. Yeah, you're doing some pretty good spycraft there.
1: Yeah, or just to keep that, um, like you may not be actively using it, but just to keep that, um, a method. Relevant, Right. Like, you know, if you quit doing something, it's going to die off. No one's going to know how to do it anymore. Sure, yeah. So, they, you know, just keep those people working. And, you know, they may, may not even know if they're transmitting real messages or not.
2: I would guess if you're just saying, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, if you, you know just hand them a sheet of paper and it's just,
1: yeah. In fact, that may be a, a pretty safe way to do things. Sure. It's like the the person with the nuclear uh, key. Yeah. It's just a test. Who knows? Is this war games? We'll find out in 30 minutes. <laughs> um, there are also other theories that they are, and I think some of this does go on, um, maybe drug runners right? using stuff like this because some of them are less than professional. <laughs> um, apparently the ones from Cuba, uh, or Cuba, sorry Jerry, are a little... Um, Uh, comical?
2: (laughs) Well, they were renowned for just having really bad slip ups, especially during the Cold War.
1: Like you'd hear people talking and laughing in the background or an accidental transmission of a radio station. Right. Of Uh, Radio
2: Havana, right?
1: Yeah. So they were kind of known for, for not being too skilled at it. But I imagine the drug runners are the same.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's virtually the same thing. And, And I mean, there's absolutely no reason why drug runners couldn't have also, couldn't also use this. Yeah. Alongside the the uh, espionage community too.
1: Yeah, theirs might be A is one, B is two, <laughs> right? And they get the message that says, "Huh, ch- shipment of kilos coming in Miami Beach tomorrow night. <laughs> right, let's go get them. Kill one, I'm one." <laughs> <laughs> uh But I do think there may be a little bit of that. I think it's a mixed bag of why they're still being broadcast. I think there are enthusiasts that are probably just doing their own thing for fun. Yeah. That'd be fun, man. If I was in uh in Guam and oh, I could send you a private message via shortwave. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you
2: meant people who are just doing it just to mess with like the Enigma community or something I like that. I think that
1: probably happens too. I bet uh, you it's all kinds of things. Yeah,
2: I'm I'm sure you're right. Um There's one guy out there, trust me. There have been some some actual spies who have been busted in this century long after the Cold War who had shortwave radios. And uh one-time pads in their apartments or houses. Apparently, in 2011, in Germany, a couple who'd lived there since 1988 and were spying for the Russians were caught in the act of receiving yeah. a numbers <laughs> transmission uh-huh. in their home when they were apprehended and, and busted for spying.
1: I can see that scene. He's got like... One headphone up, and he's holding it with his hand, and yeah. he's writing something down in pencil. And his wife's trying to eat it really quick. <laughs> right, Get, spit it out, <laughs> spit it out. Uh, and in 2001, Anna Montez worked for the U.S. Civil Defense uh, Intelligence Agency, and she was convicted of spying for Cuba. And when they searched her home, they found a shortwave radio and a code sheet. Mm-hmm. And um so, yeah, I mean, that's it's still going on, man. I think it's pretty neat.
2: Yeah, I, I do, too.
1: Like it's old school, but almost foolproof.
2: Yeah, the the big vulnerability is getting the random, ge- randomly generated key to the spy.
1: Yeah, and they also point out in the article, who wrote this one, by the way?
2: Uh, Nathan Chandler.
1: Um, Nathan points out that these days you're likely, um, your one-timer might be sent to you uh, maybe digitally somehow. But it's not; it doesn't like tip anyone off necessarily. Yeah, I'm but, not quite sure how. Yeah, I would think if you're being watched, then an email with a lot of random numbers might tip someone <laughs> right. off. Right.
2: Well, it used to be they they'd print them on that the kind of paper that like dissolved quickly or burned and left no ash or whatever. Right. They were on such a tiny piece of paper you had to use a really good magnifying. Oh yeah. Like lens to read it. Yeah. And you could hide them in like a walnut shell or something like that. Oh wow. Who knows what they're doing now? Yeah. But they are doing something.
1: Yeah. I, I'd like to, uh, I thought about getting a short, I was a little bit inspired, but then I thought, oh man, I've got so many other things to do. <laughs> right, <yeah. laughs> I don't know if I could do, fall into that rabbit hole.
2: So that's number stations. If that uh, piqued your interest, just type in number stations into your favorite search engine and it will lead you down the rabbit hole of shortwave radio. Did you say rabbit holes? Is that where I got that from?
1: I said rabbit hole, but I didn't invent it.
2: No, I know, but it just popped up in my head, Yeah. and it wasn't my own invention.
1: And I think if you have a shortwave radio, you probably tune into these anyway because you're just into that lifestyle, but I think there's a website called Spy Numbers yeah, where you can actually find the frequencies and just go right there, and you don't have to search for them. Right.
2: And if you want to read this article, you can type the words numbers stations in the search bar at howstuffworks.com. And since I said search bar, it's time for listener mail.
1: I'm going to call this a bit on sushi um, from someone in Japan. Uh, Hey, guys, and Jerry. He spelled Jerry right as well. Man, it's Jerry's day. Uh, I enjoyed the sushi episode quite a bit and have something to add. Uh, As a result of modern food production following World War II in Japan and, of course, the U.S. and elsewhere, the quality and traditional methods of making shoyu, miso, and other Japanese food items sadly plummeted. Uh, For example, miso can be fermented and aged in a matter of weeks with the use of temperature-controlled tanks, where traditional dark miso would age up to two years. Uh, same goes with other fermented products like shoyu. Uh, mirin, no longer a sweet rice cooking wine. It's practically sugar water. Speaking of sugar, modern Japanese food wouldn't exist without it. Uh, umiboshi, uh, the sour, salty, pickled plum, good. is lousy with artificial color, sugar, and refined salt.
2: They're still good.
1: As much as I loved uh, love Japanese food and culture, it's quite heartbreaking to see these Uh, Centuries of traditional food processing supplanted by the Japanese version of a Twinkie, chemically made and processed. As an alternative, there are good quality Japanese products to be had, particularly those imported from uh, Eden Foods, which is high quality, organic, and widely distributed.
2: Is this the president of Eden Foods?
1: (laughs) I don't know. Are they based in Alameda, California? Sounds like it. Uh, that is from Lear in Alameda, California. Um, I meant to mention to you, I had the worst sushi I've had in my life the other day.
2: Oh no, where?
1: Uh, I'm not going to say it, but I'm not going back. I'll tell you off air. Um, yeah, please do. I don't think you wouldn't go there anyway, but, um, it was the rice was gummy mm. and really gummy to the point where I ate it just because I was starving and I ate it really fast and I was like, oh, this is kind of gummy. And then afterward, I was like, man, that was terrible. Yeah? Did like, you say that to yourself and, like, you smiled and your whole <laughs> mouth was coated in rice? It was gross, man. I was, I was ticked off afterward after I paid the bill uh, and complained the whole way home to Emily. I was like, I really should have said something because that was, like, they should have known they shouldn't have served that rice.
2: Well, why didn't you say something?
1: Because, like I said, I just Nothing shoved seems. it in my face hole and left. And complained afterward, which is, that's how I do things usually. I don't like to make a scene. I just like to play the martyr afterward. <laughs> I've talked about that gummy sushi for two days. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was that bad, huh? Yeah, the fish and stuff was good, but that rice was just very subpar. They, they should have known better.
2: Okay. Well, tell me where it is afterward. I will. Okay. Uh, if you want to, um, I guess, inadvertently or quietly, clandestinely promote your business like Lear did with his Eden foods subversively yeah, yeah. Um, you can tweet to us at sysk podcast you can join us on facebook.com slash stuff you should know you can uh, send us an email to stuff podcast at how and as always join us at our home on the web StuffYouShouldKnow.com.